Hi, this is Bron Burton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page. Good morning. Coming up to one minute past nine, you're tuned to 102.73 R. Maybe you're listening via rrr.org.au. This is Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name's Bron Burton. My name's Dr Beach. How are you, Dr Beach? I'm very well. Very good. This um, post-grand final morning. Yeah. Congratulations to uh, all the Tiger Army out there. Yeah. It was very nice for him. And, and including Kent, who is panelling for us and who's done the peculiar job of coming in after, I'm sure, celebrating into the long hours of the early morning. How drive up Punt Road, crossed Swan Street. A few street sweepers kind of clearing the last of the revellers away. <laughs> the <But> corpses. I, <laughs> but I, I did drive past um, um, uh, Punt Street Oval. Punt Street Oval? Isn't that what we call it? Punt Road Oval. How long have I lived in Melbourne? Uh, yeah. Part Road Oval, Richmond Football Club. I don't know, whatever. Um, and yeah, people are, you know, this was, I don't know, about quarter past eight. People were gathering already. It's going to be big. Oh, they, oh, yeah, right. I thought I thought you meant they were still there from last night and this uh, afternoon. There, actually, there were. <laughs> they probably are. I, yeah, there were a couple of people kind of making their way to tram stops in a kind of zigzag fashion. So <laughs> good on you. Yeah. Awesome. Today's program. Oh, thank you very much, Tim Thorpe, for Vital Bits. Thank you very much, Andrew, for Soulful Bits. Wonderful program. Indeed. Catch Tim next Saturday for more Vital Bits. Massive show today. Shortly we're going to be caught catching up with uh, Beached As. Do you remember Beached As? Very vaguely. I, I, I was kind of... That one escaped me a bit. I, I've got to admit, I Googled it yesterday and was reminded of what it was. Yeah, it has this sort of iconic image of uh, a, uh, a cartoon whale and a cartoon seagull on the beach. And uh, we're going to be talking to Anthony McFarlane about the anniversary or beached asiversary. Um, so beached as, if you're new to this, 11 years ago, was a little YouTube um, offering about 60 to 90 seconds, yep. picked up a massive following and, um, yeah, went for maybe 10, 15 um, episodes, I think, from memory, and then sort of disappeared. So Beach Days is returning. So very excited to talk to Anthony McFarlane. He's the voice of Seagull. <laughs> it's going to be ace. Um, we, uh, we've got some news, Dr Beach, science news. Oh, a little bit of news. Um, yeah. So remember the blob we talked about a couple of years ago? The blob was a heat wave in the Northern Pacific, which lasted oh, almost three years, 2014 through to about 20, late 2016, 2017, uh, led to all sorts of things, weird algal blooms. And we, you know, people think it was one of these blobs that perhaps led to Hitchcock's The Birds back mm. in 1961, all sorts of weird stuff happening. Anyway, bad thing. Um, this year, so temperatures are going up again in the Northern Pacific. Area the size of Australia between um, Alaska and Hawaii. Uh, scientists, as you can imagine, are keeping a close eye on it. At the moment, the temperature anomaly, so it's three degrees above normal temperature, the sea surface, and but that's only gone down to about thirty meters. Whereas before, with the um, with the real blob, it went down much further, like you know, hundred meters or something like that. And so this thing could get blown away by a wind. But there's been already disturbing signs, algal blooms, mm. uh, other seals dying, that kind of stuff. 
So it's it's a bit of a um, bit of a worry that this might happen again, but could go if the big wind came. So this sets up when the um, the winds in the northern hemisphere in the North Pacific, are pretty unusual periods of calm. Mm-hmm. So you don't get the weather blowing stuff away and upwelling and all of that hasn't happened. But if that does happen, then that will clear this. But it's exactly the same scenario as we saw five or six years ago. So scientists are a little bit concerned about that one. We'll stay tuned for that one. Yeah, it's called the Blob. That's its official name. Okay. Blob 2 could be. <laughs> that a movie with Steve McQueen. No. So when I said we've got some science coming up, that was the science? That was the science. Excellent. Yeah. So in the, we've, we've kind of jumped ahead a little bit, but that's okay. So in the back half of the program, um, from 9.30 onwards, we are going to be playing a chat that I had with Ash Grunwald blues musician and surfer and um, both of those things that he does are significant because he's written a book called Surf by Day, Jam by Night. It captures his conversations with like-minded surfers and musos around the world about what it is that drives them to do what they love. So fascinating chat we had. It was just before Radiothon. Timing didn't quite work out to put it to air um, right around Radiothon time. So we're going to be playing that for you in sort of the back half of the show. So from 9.30 onwards. I look forward to hearing that, Bron. He's he's a cracker, really fascinating to talk to, and the book's a cracker, so there you go. Um, some weather, please, Dr Beach. Yeah, it's going to be 16 degrees today, today Braun. It's um, cloudy, areas of fog in the morning, medium chance of light showers in the late morning and afternoon. Light winds becoming west, southwest 15 to 20 k in the morning, then tending south-southwest in the early afternoon. Maybe a tiny sprinkling of rain, but you know, less than one millimetre, if anything. Tomorrow's going to be 15 degrees, partly cloudy. Tuesday, 21, Wednesday, 21, and then Thursday, up to back up to whoa, 23, 24, stuff nice. like that. Yeah, and staying mid 20s till the end of the week, and not much rain on the horizon. If anything, just a little sprinkle, less than one millimetre. And if you are heading out onto the water, you'll be wanting to know what's happening with the tides. At Point Lonsdale, it was low tide about 5am, so it's going to be high tide of 1.48 metres at 11.57am at Point Lonsdale. Thanks, that Dr Beach. the heads. Awesome. 12 minutes past nine, and you're listening to Radio Marinara here on 3RRR, Dr Beach in the great joy that is live radio. <laughs> we <laughs> yep. have a guest who has his phone switched off. He, he, he probably just spent a bit too much time watching the footy he might have and been. enjoying it. Yeah, has well, actually, phones. being Sydney-based, he may well be a... GWS fan. Could be. They've got 50,000 members up there. Yeah, he might be one, be one of them. Of them. Yeah. Uh, so what we're going to do instead is flip our show around. Yeah. And um, we are now going to play uh, the interview that I did with Ash Grunwald uh, back just before the start of Radiothon. So, um, Kent, I think we uh, might just go straight to that now. Surfers and musicians have a lot in common. A blend of technical mastery with artistic expression – The use of intuition when the pressure is on and ultimately a deep-seated passion and drive to get to that happy place that surfing and playing music brings. Ash Grunwald is a musician and a surfer. Keen to explore these concepts, he went on a worldwide quest to speak with like-minded surfers and musos and put these and other ideas to them. What he found in these conversations is captured in Surf by Day, Jam by Night. It offers broad and diverse insights into what it takes to live your dreams on the stage and on a board in the sea. To tell us more, it's a big Radio Marinara. Welcome to Ash Grunwald. Good morning, Ash. Good morning, Bron. Thanks so much for that cool intro. (laughs) So awesome to have you with us here. (laughs) You spend most of your life in Bali and in Byron these days. How are you finding being back in Melbourne? 
we don't live in Bali anymore. We moved back at the start of the year and it was to launch this book and to launch my album, which came out yesterday. So I adjusted my mindset after doing the book. It's given me so much joy. I wouldn't take back one wave that I've ever caught. As for my music career, there's a lot of things I didn't even want to tour in America or anything because I just want, I wanted to surf. It was such an amazing adventure. I've told myself, you're going to get more waves. So just chill out. You know, if you're on the campaign trail doing a few things, do that. Be where you are. Don't wish for other things because you're the one who wished to be in this position of doing this book and doing this album. So, you know, just love where you are. You didn't grow up surfing. When did you start? I, you know, like I'm the Melbourne surfer. So I, for the book, this didn't make the book, but um, I wrote this long chapter about what it was like to be a uh, inner city Melbourne musician in the blues scene 20 years ago and be travelling down to Phillip Island in my beaten up Bedford van in the pouring rain, getting a wetty on and then getting out in the water and standing up for a combined total of 30 seconds and then coming home late at night and being stoked. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really interesting. I find that I've travelled the world a fair bit with music and surfing and, you know, if you get to England or Japan, some of the places where the surf can be really average, people froth. Mm. And then you go... You go to other places like um, sometimes in the southwest of WA, I've spent a lot of time there where the, the waves are amazing. And, you know, if it's just three foot and pretty fun, wow, previous to now, maybe it's more busy now, people wouldn't surf. And I'd be like, wow, this is funny. People froth a lot harder in the places where the surf's crap. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but they love it. Maybe it's an appreciation thing. Yeah, you appreciate more what you have in limited supply. So, you know... Human nature is a very funny thing. So this book, Surf by Day, Jam by Night, congratulations. It's a great read. Oh, thank Love you. Love reading it. What led you to write it? Is it something that you've wanted to do for a long time? Well, I was approached to write a book so, and I was thinking, yeah, you know. My wife's always told me I should write a book um, and I've always thought, eh. I did study literature at uni and stuff as well but like, I just thought, oh, it's so much work. I don't know if I could be bothered. And then after, I think I wrote in my dedication to Danny, I thought it would be too much work, but I was wrong. It was a lot more work than that, And you've put <laughs> but it, it was worth it. And you put it out at the same time that you've put out your new album, Mojo, as well. Yeah. I don't know of anyone who's put out a book and an album at the same time. How is that even possible? The album was also such a long time coming, and some of that ended up in the book Uh, the album was recorded in america and then it was lost for many years then i got it back and then i added to it in byron and stuff so um it just worked out that way and um you know it's it feels good it's it's very busy now but this is something that we and i hope i hope i'm not going to freak anybody out by saying manifesting but (laughs) out at home but um my wife and I, you know, we used to have these walks through the rice fields in Bali and we manifested all of this. Like when we, when I first decided to sort of like really try and turn my career around and make a more happening career and really dive back into it, it wasn't in this position, but we actually made a conscious decision. Surf by Day, Jam by Night, it's an exploration of the nexus between surfing and music or surfers and musicians. I wanted to ask you about that idea of surfing and music going hand in hand and it's something that's uh, said by Kelly Slater and a couple of others featured in the book. There's probably many musicians out there who don't surf, but are there many or any surfers who aren't into music, do you think? Oh, plenty. 
a lot of surfers are, um, you know, sporty people or then you have your hard drinking bogan surfers you have or whatever especially when i moved away from victoria where um you know there's other places in australia where you can be a banker in the in sydney you could be a banker and be a surfer you know Mm. um so it's not always the cliche that um that people think of but Surfing musicians and musical surfers are a particular breed. You know, there's a Venn diagram that has all surfers <laughs> in one circle, all musicians in one, and there's this crossover. And I think that those people are Renaissance people, especially the people at the top of it. Like Steph Gilmore is a shredder of a guitarist. She's like particularly good. Like her technique is better than a lot of musicians. But, you know, if you've got the drive to win seven world titles in an era where women's surfing's going through the roof and you still remain at the top of it, well, you know something about focus and passion and working at things and then so she just puts that into everything she does. Yeah. That crossover that you were talking about in between those sort of two circles, the Venn diagram, it crosses so many genres of music as well. So, you know, not just blues and roots and rock and you mentioned Steph Gilmore, she's got this real thing for metal in particular (laughs) but at the other end of the spectrum you've got people like Richard Tognetti you know artistic director of the Australian Chamber Orchestra who also surfs oh wow and that's about (laughs) as pure as you can get as far as you know unadulterated classical music it Mm. it seems to cross all genres of music well I think you know everybody loves to get in a flow state whether they know what a flow state is or not to catch a wave you have to by definition be in harmony with mm. nature, to catch the wave, you have to be in harmony. And you cannot be thinking about anything else. There's too many factors. That's just catching a wave. That's just taking a foamy out and actually standing up on a wave. You almost have to be in a flow state, let alone when Rasta or Kelly Slater or Steph are in some gigantic... I mean, I think Rasta was describing, you know, like those 40-foot barrels that he surfed and being like, you know, um, the Sistine Chapel that's moving at 50 k's an hour. You know, they get to have these experiences that I'll never experience, but more than that, they get these heightened states of consciousness when they're doing that that must just be amazing. Mm -hmm. But in both cases of music or, or surfing... You need to give a lot to that passion before you can reach sublime levels. If you're saying you're reaching sublime levels and you're there doing a poo stance, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like a lot of us do at the start or, you know, you're just playing an E chord. You're not in a sublime state. You're kidding yourself if you think that. I, I know it from playing music like in the last year and a half or whatever. I've really given to my music more than I had in the last decade. And now when I'm on stage, I get to have that that flow state or that whatever you call it, being in the zone, there's a million different ways to say it, but almost feel like you're channeling. I can get there easier now Mm. than I used to get there because I've put in that other time and effort into it. So there's a few ironies at work with with both of those things, but they they take a lot of... um, commitment to your passion is it that concept of being in the moment that comes up in the book a few times when you're talking about the flow Mm. with both music and with Mm. surfing is it being in the moment yeah that's what we're all chasing in different ways and Mm. like some of us who work nine to fives and are in cities you can fall into the mutual hallucination of well it's a reality when you're in it of all these other things that are important and you you don't get into that state on a daily basis that's just survival 
Uh, that's just, you know, earning a living, being focused on that all the time. You know, we often think about um, fun as just relaxing and we don't like the idea of working away at something because it seems like work. And I've been like, the the reason I started writing this book is because I'm the ultimate good times guy. <laughs> but I have realized that there's a difference between pleasure and happiness now. And I think it you it's easier to get into those flow states when you give a bit more to the thing meditation's the one that is just all flow state without so much as the even the activity there's a million different ways to to get into it these are just two of them but at the end of the book i was like okay i was working on my conclusion i thought i maybe it's time to look up the definition of flow state and they mentioned surfing and music in it all oh, right <laughs> Which I thought was hilarious. So the book's got 15 separate chapters and in each of those chapters you interview a different person. So all together there's a great diversity of both surfers and musicians and in some cases both at the top of their respective games. Um, we've talked about Dave Rastovich a little bit or as you call him the surf yogi of perpetual stroke. <laughs> Stoke. Stoke. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a difference there. <laughs> I have written Stoke here on my, in my notes. Can I we... hope I wouldn't want to imply he's stroking himself <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I can say that about Dave. He won't care. <laughs> See, Dave is a funny character. Yep. You know, he achieves so highly and he's such a great environmentalist and such a great spokesperson for the sport and such a good influence on um, on on this planet and charges gigantic waves. But... He just spends his whole time joking and mucking around. I don't. I love that about him because if you really want to achieve some serious outcomes, especially in environmentalism, which can get you down, I think you have the most wind in your sails when you're doing serious things, but you never take yourself seriously mm. at the same time. And he went through that stage, didn't he? Um, we had Dave on the show about eight years ago when Mines in the Water first came out and he was deeply involved working with Sea Shepherd, particularly focused on the issue of dolphins in captivity and being slaughtered around Taiji. Your chat with Rasta goes quite deep into those problems that our planet and particularly our oceans are facing as well. In the book, there seems to be this interesting blend of optimism and pessimism. Is that a fair thing to say, do you think? Yeah, I think I mentioned in the book the the debate that we've always had because I used to be I say used to because I'm sort of coming around to him a bit on this, but like I was the technological optimist. Also, I have to admit that I didn't know the issues as deeply as he did. You know, he just thinks, yeah, we're fucked, we'd, <laughs> but we should have a good time on the way down, mm. which he doesn't take that to mean let's rape and pillage the world, but let, let's try and make it, let's try our best. And I know for me, and that's something I mentioned in the book, my, the biggest thing I've been involved in, in the past was the coal seam gas mining issue, which was horrific, but people in cities didn't know a lot about it. And it started happening around the northern rivers of um, New South Wales, around the Byron area. And I thought, well, if we all thought, well, if the collection of hippies and environmentalists here can't ward it off and they've got 50% of the landmass of Australia earmarked for this stuff, we'll never, we'll never be able to beat this thing. So we tried our hardest, but when I was involved in it, I actually was ticking a box in my own mind, just doing my best to do everything I could to help. But I actually did think it was hopeless, but we did win. And I think that's the point Dave makes that when people do have wins in environmentalism, they don't go around telling everybody about it because they're on to the next thing or they're busy or they're happy to go back to their lives. That's why it's so funny when people criticize you for um, putting in or trying to alert everybody about a big issue or trying to make some change. 
you can get criticized for it and people think you're doing it just for the fun of it or something. It's like, it's not fun at all. <laughs> You'd rather just, we're all busy. We'd rather do other things, but like, what are you going to do? If you've just tuned in, we're midway through a chat that I had back in August with Ash Gunwald, who's a musician and surfer, surfer and musician, about his new book called Surf by Day, Jam by Night. Our conversation so far has been about things that musicians and surfers have in common and moving along to environmental activism and how important it is to celebrate those environmental wins when they happen. We're going to return now to our chat where Ash is speaking about why he feels it's so important to get involved in efforts to stand up for environmental justice and restoration and how we all have a responsibility to do our bit to make things better for our planet. If you're part of normal society just cruising along, you're probably you're doing damage. You're using the resources of this planet and you are doing damage. So like whatever you can do, I think it's worth doing. And I, I think in the book also Jack Johnson made some also good points that would be along the lines of what Dave had to say. Jack's given more to not-for-profits than they gave for the Amazon burning down right now. He's given $38 million or something in his foundations, which they match not-for-profit um, organisations dollar for dollar. And they're trying to make big changes that are lasting. They're not just recycling a bit at their gigs, you know, just to tick a box. Dave and Jack, uh, they want to do things in an enjoyable way, like... Jack has a thing where they, some of the lighting and stuff is made from plastics, found, you know, found in beach cleanups and stuff like that. So they, they make it enjoyable, but it still makes the point. There's a great shot of you in the book wearing a gas mask, where you're on the uh, the the Condamine River. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, well, I was talked into doing that, and I don't like tension, so <laughs> I didn't want to do it, but um, I did do it because you know it was the right thing to do. I'm just so uh, feel very lucky that to Nick Hanlon who talked me into doing it because um, it was said to be um, really helpful even internationally against the fracking thing. But basically, the Condamine River is bubbling 24/7 as a result of the fracking process with methane gas, and you can light the river now. And so I went in a gas mask with a surfboard so we could get a photo. It was kind of scary. There was farmers there who were shooting guns in the air and <laughs> I don't even get why the farmers in that case didn't want us on there because coal seam gas mining doesn't help farmers and not those farmers in particular because they hadn't sold out to the coal seam gas mining lot. But people just sometimes, they still don't like you to rock the boat. Just coming back to the book, and I do want to come back to the environmental message and and your involvement in environmental campaigns as well. So uh, we've come across some Steph Gilmore, Kelly Slater, um, musicians, also like Pete Murray, you've mentioned Jack Johnson. How did you go about deciding who you wanted to include in this exercise? Did you have a top 10 list that you'd sort of developed over the years or did it sort of happen all organically as you went? Well, I've been very blessed. As you know, we've said in this interview, I started off as a Melbourne boy just going down with my mini-mal mm. <laughs> to the ocean. But a lot of these people, like Dave was the best man at my wedding. I've done surf trips with Pete Murray, you know, um, Kelly Slater. I met at a gig. I supported Jack Johnson for his Australian tour back in the day. So I know Steph through the scene. So most of the people I actually knew, some of them were some of my best friends. And some others, like Callie, I just know to say hi to and go, oh, hi, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, you describe him in the book as Lord of the Universe. I was, <laughs> I was wondering if there's a bit of uh, inner fanboy happening in there. Yeah, there was a, there was a fair bit of fanboy when I, I mean, when Callie um, said yes, I jumped on a plane from Bali 
and arrived at his doorstep to do the interview. Yeah. Um, but that was a really, yeah, because that was a pretty pinch myself moment because, I mean, Kelly, uh, I think he's sort of probably the greatest sports person of all time. He's, if you take the first half of his career, he won six world titles and then he retired. Then he came back because Andy Irons was killing it and then I think he wanted to compete with him. And then he won another uh, five. So he's the youngest surfer to ever win a world title and the oldest. So, yeah, he's a pretty amazing dude. And uh, that that was really interesting. But well, we were talking a lot about his new wave pool because that was like hot news then. So I felt like the on-the-spot reporter getting some historical surfing things because it was my contention and it still is that surfing will, will never be the same after that because it's not... A natural thing necessarily to be a surfer from now on. It's interesting. I found your conversation with him particularly fascinating to read. It was a, a mix of chat about the wave pools, as you mentioned, and pro surfing, but then contrasted with his experiences with some local environmental issues. Mm, and, in Florida, that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we've talked a lot over the years um, on this program about different cultures of surfing. And to me, it seems like Kelly Slater's caught between these two worlds of the commercial, but that kind of spiritual earth connection that comes with surfing. Did you and did you find that as you spoke with him? I did, and um, I really liked how open he was. He was explaining to me why, you know, let's say for an example, you had a vitamin C tablet, but really your body's made to have an orange. You know, there's a lot of different things that go on with that and whatever and the natural way is always better and, you know, you're saying all that stuff. And then on the other hand, he's making changing surfing forever by making artificial wave pools mm. in the middle of the desert. Yeah, so I sort of posed that to him and and it was potentially a prickly kind of question to see that those two flip, but he was just saying, yeah, you know, like you have to see both sides of every equation and be open to that and not just be polarized. And to be honest, I think that's a bit of a problem in the world right now. And I feel like a lot of the media and stuff is encouraging it even more. We're getting really polarized. Mm. And the truth of the matter is that life's complex. And normally you hear two people arguing and sometimes they're talking about different things. And <laughs> so like, and you can have that within yourself. And I think we're getting a little bit simplistic sometimes about everything really. Sometimes to you know paradox is part of life and so like i think he sees it and he says if you're a soul surfer you might not be into wave pools you know he gets it so that he's an interesting cat let's go back to the environmental side of things because i'm particularly interested in some of the experiences that you've had uh, in bali where you've spent a lot of time recently we're hearing a lot of stories and anecdotes about marine pollution being sort of borderline out of control in that part of the world these days is that was that your experience being Oh, uh, yeah. And, you know, all the more pertinent for us because we have a company called Earth Bottles that was that we were trying to reduce single-use plastics. Um, and that's my wife, Danny, who's been mainly responsible for really driving that, um, doing a lot of beach cleanups and really helping to educate people, really try and get that, that message out there. But I've surfed in surrounded by plastic bags and, like, I'd be paddling for a wave and get, like, an extra bit of um, leverage into the wave because my hand was grabbing a plastic bag. Mm. Um, it was really quite shocking. And another thing that people may not realise is that Bali is full of tourists and there's a lot of pollution, I'm sure, created definitely from the tourists and the numbers that are there. But 
we sort of make these presumptions that it's all to do with us. Um, and it's almost like it's kind of naive and almost um, a weird kind of a weird kind of colonial guilt thing to take all the blame for it because like these Indonesian companies, the Warongs, where they where everybody gets their food, family owned businesses, you know, you can go get there and get bunkus, which is takeaway, right? Mm. And it's normally wrapped in, it was always wrapped in banana leaves, but there's Indonesian companies. Those warongs now are just full of single-use plastics. And so if you surf river mouths in the country away from all the tourism, the pollution is out of control. Sometimes it's like being in a garbage tip because the people at the top of the mountain have all those plastic things and then they put all their plastic next to the rivers and then they say, oh, well, when wet season comes, it'll get rid of it. And then also a lot of stuff comes from Java. So it is really complex over there and you've never seen pollution like it and you have the romantic smell of burning plastic of a nighttime. It's like being in the um, Australian suburbs in the 70s when people had <laughs> incinerators. But, you know, um, Bali's is a place with magic as long uh, magic and burning plastic in the air mm. and things can change really quickly. Like we were talking to our friend's um, who we work with over there about, you know, trying to get some education into schools and stuff to stop the plastic because, like, it's, you know, uh, you can't even relate to it being from Australia, the problems. Like, they're very um, religious and spiritual people, but then they, when they have ceremonies, which is all the time, they bring, like, small single-use Danone plastic um, water containers and just leave them all there. So we were trying to say, maybe you could say that like plastic interrupts the karmic cycle. You know, you normally when it's banana leaves and stuff, there's a cycle. But, you know, plastic interrupts that because it lasts forever. <laughs> I don't know how that Sometimes went. it's about finding the right angle. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. trying to sort of bring in a karma angle. <laughs> yeah. Where are you heading next, Ash, with your environmental work? Because you're heading back up to Byron shortly. We know you're coming back down to Melbourne for the Geelong Writers' Festival. And also for my gig at Howler in on Saturday the 5th of October. And we're having a, not a beach clean-up, but we are having a Merry Creek clean-up just before that. So people can um, just jump on my socials to find out about that. And also at the Howler gig... If you get a ticket for the Howler gig, then you are buying a tree to be planted using 15 trees. Um, so they're, they're a really cool group, and I think it costs around about $4. So $4 or so would go from your ticket to plant a tree to sort of offset the carbon. So we're doing that, but we've also been doing this year since we've been back in Australia, we've been on this tour in between other tours called the Clean the Coast Tour. And so that was mainly on the coast, but the Merry Creek one is part of that, where we um, do a beach cleanup near a coastal gig and then sort of earth bottles our company puts money in and also our friend Paul Hellier, who has an app called Fair Food Forager, he's in on it as well and he helps to organise that and deal with local groups. So we've been logging all the plastic with um tangaro blue is it yeah tangaro yeah. blue yeah we've been doing that and that's just been such a great community thing and so good to have our kids there and be part of it but it's it's just so good so there's such a great feel from it and and you don't know what good things are going to come from that 
When you're back in Melbourne, we'd love to get you back in studio and also we'll bring in Fom Sharko, who's our, our plastic litter expert here for Radio Marinara and some of the other great people who are around the traps doing amazing work with beach cleanup activities as well. Start joining all those dots. Yeah, that would be really cool. Like there's so much to learn about it. I mean, we were part of a little um, think tank on how we could help with that plastics thing and we learned, you know, even a phrase like, you know, you think um, plastic doesn't break down, it breaks up. Yeah breaks up into little bits so you know and you know plankton are plankton are dying of starvation because they're eating plastic and you know there's so much going on that's scary you know we'll just do what we can things are changing you know they are changing and it's because of people like you and Rasta and so many of the people in this book. I've <laughs> been speaking Thanks. with Ash Gronwald about uh, Surf by Day, Jam by Night, published by Pantera Press, and it's out there right now in all good bookstores. Ash, thanks so much for joining us here on Radio Marinara. Thanks so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and hopefully we'll catch up with you again. Yeah, that'll okay. be good. And if you just tuned in, that was um, a chat that I had with Ash Gronwald about a month ago. Very interesting, Brian. It sounds like a... Interesting character. Book coming out? Uh, yeah, well, book's out. So um, Surf by Day, Jam by Night, and you can pick that up at all good bookstores, as I mentioned. Um, he's actually coming to Melbourne uh, again. Uh, firstly, next weekend, which he mentioned, he's going to be doing a gig at Howler, um, Saturday, 5th of October at 7pm. So this is part of his Mojo album tour. Um, we'll put links to that on our Facebook page. He's also coming back again um, as part of the Geelong Writers Festival in November, 16th of November, um, where he's going to be part of a panel discussing the book as well. So links to both of those will go up on our Facebook page. Nice. 13 minutes to 10. You are listening to Radio Marinara here on 3 R, and we just had a call from Jack. Thanks, Jack. Letting us know that uh, Ash Grunwald's also going to be doing a book reading next Sunday, 6th of October at Readings. Uh, sorry, he's doing Readings. <laughs> At Farrell's Bookshop in Mornington. Uh, Farrell's Bookshop in Mornington, not readings, okay? Farrell's Bookshop in Mornington at 4pm. So you can get down there and um, and hear Ash do some readings from his new book. Nice one. Yeah. All right. Uh, now we're going to uh, turn our attentions to Beached As. So 11 years ago, Beached As blasted into our hearts. It's a 90-second animation series featuring random conversations between a Kiwi seagull and his mate, a whale, who is, well, Beached As, costing a whopping $16 in production costs. The online cartoon quickly picked up a huge following on YouTube. It's since turned into two international television series, a live uh, show and a chart-topping phone app. So here's some great news. Next week on the 1st of October, Beached As returns to our screens with a new series called Beached Asiversary. It gets better. Whale and Seagull are all fired up and ready to uh, cook the shot out of global warming. I took that out of their press release, Dr Beach, so I figured that's okay. <laughs> to tell us all about it is with great excitement we welcome to Radio Marinara, Beached As Creator and Voice of Seagull, Anthony McFarlane. Good morning, Anthony. Welcome to Radio Marinara. G'day, team. Thank you very much for having me. What a pleasure. It's great to have you here. Now, $16 in production costs. What did that cover? Uh, that covered a couple of coffees, um, <laughs> and I think uh, I paid a buddy of mine to digitise a, a little thing in another coffee. It was three coffees in total, one for me, one for the whale, and one for a mate to help us digitise a, a mini disc. <laughs> 
<laughs> mini disc that really um that sets it in time, doesn't it? Um, exactly. Look, we're, yep, the we're, last one ever. We're so excited that Beach Des is returning. Um, we are big fans, and we know from some of the responses from our listeners on our Facebook page that we have, uh, you know, our listeners are big fans as well. Um, maybe for listeners who haven't come across Beach Des before, can you talk us through the original Beach Des? So perhaps let's start with where it all started. Oh, talking through something that doesn't make a lot of sense is always a challenge. <laughs> it, it was it was really, it was at the time where YouTube was pretty much just becoming a thing. So we, me and a buddy of mine were living together and we would just make videos and that was just one of them and it just hit a hit a bit of a nerve and we put it on YouTube really just to show our buddies at university who were all creating little shows with and just learning about animation and all those different pieces and playing with our new cameras and that thing was created i mean living together with a guy for five years you start to go on pretty insane tangents and imagining what a kiwi whale would say on a beach happened to be one of those which made us giggle for at least 40 minutes and we thought that there's a show in that and next thing we know we popped it on youtube and we forgot about it for i think three weeks we put it on there sent to our mates forgot about it we checked back in and it had like ninety thousand views <laughs> these days those numbers don't mean anything because everyone's in the tens of millions but back then that was like ninety thousand people have watched our ridiculous cartoon without a beginning middle or an end um and so we, we we got a bit excited and you know started making ringtones and everything we did seemed to hit and, and people downloaded them and used them and within six months we had like i don't know five hundred thousand and we just it, it it sort of spawned really what took off as all of us into our own little commercial careers making tv shows and tv commercials for them so it was really just a fun piece of content that meant nothing at the time we just wanted to make fun of kiwis really is really what it came down to but it's it's the what's really striking about Beach Days is that it's it's not so much the you know the making making of fun it's it's very endearing the way that it's all done and there's no narrative there's no story arc to any of this as you mentioned there's just these kind of random conversations where did they come from I think that's it was I mean now that thing is a little bit more you see it more often because we're all so used to these tiny bits of snack content that you might see in between a post from your friend and a post from your mum, there might be a 30-second video that is just a moment in time. And it seems to be how we're all starting to digest content these days on our mobile devices. And at that time, I guess it was a little bit new and a little bit, oh, hang on, this is something I don't need to sit down and get the popcorn out. It's something I can just have a giggle with at my desk with my workmates and create a whole culture of sharing videos and stuff. Once I didn't create it, was was an early part of that. So, um, yeah, I think it's it's just hit a nerve with how people consume these days and it just kind of works for our busy lives, those short, snackable bits of content. Can you talk us through the moment where Flight of the Concords, Concords discovered you? Yeah, we, did, we didn't know. Someone, it, that's the beauty of the internet. Someone tags you in something, someone else tags, you know, tells you this has happened. We didn't even know they did it. And they had a blog and they just, yeah, that sort of was pretty funny and reached out and tagged us in it, and I guess. And, and you see those spikes. You know, we started looking at the metadata and you see various shares and gatekeepers post these things and, and they double overnight with the amount of followers that they get. And sort of that's how we learned about that whole industry. It was like, wow, okay, someone with you know, that many followers does something and all of a sudden you're, you're part of their circle and then you become, they become part of another circle and, you know, all these things combine and create pretty powerful, you know, reach. So, yeah, it was, it was exciting. I mean, those guys are obviously Kiwi legends, and so we were pretty stoked to be <laughs> on their radar. Okay. Um, let's talk about the reunion. So, Beached Asiversary. What prompted Beached Asiversary? I think, really, it was the state of the planet. 
um, very hard, I think, for any one person to do anything. Um, if you look at the state of our oceans and, and, and just every bit of conversation happening around what we've done to this earth, and I think all of us can say, yes, we can try individually but not buy that coffee cup, you know, buy recycled paper, turn our lights off, and we all try and do all these little things that everyone wants to, everyone wants to be a part of the solution to making our planet not fall into the doldrums. But we thought that as, you know, we've got a million followers over here and, you know, maybe as, a, as humble as our little cartoon is, we actually have a bit of power to be able to reach more people than the average person and we all live our own busy lives doing our other things, which I'm sure don't do anything good for the planet. So there's an opportunity where we can do something. So let's do a show. Let's team up. We called Greenpeace. They said, we'd love to be a part of that. We called Sea Shepherd. They said, boom, let's do have some fun stuff. We called a bunch of charities. They all wanted to get on board. Taronga Zoo. Um, we said to Screen Australia, hey, we want to make some content. They're all about supporting the arts in Australia and it's all for a good thing. Um, and yeah, all the pieces just fell into place and we found some time to, to create it. So it really was a matter of having fun, creating some more content that people want to watch, but also talking about all the issues that are facing our, all these global challenges that we're doing. And off the back of that, we were creating a beer uh, called Beached as Brew. This is awesome from these guys in Modus Operandi and all the beaches, all the profits going to clean up beaches on the beaches. We're creating an app. When you play the app, now get this, this is sick. When you play the app, there's advertising on the app. The advertising goes towards the fund. The fund goes to a company called Carbon Neutral that plants trees for every $2.75 that you raise. So whilst you play the bleach, it's called bleach dad. You're trying to save, uh, trying to save some coral from some coral bleaching. As you play, the advertising pops up. You watch the advertising. Your dollar amount goes up in how much money you're raising, and you're getting to watch the grams of carbon that you're saving whilst playing the game. Welcome to the people. This is so great. Um, it, it's amazing. And I love the metric on this, 16 grams removed from the atmosphere with every game that you play. There you so go. Well, that, depends how long you play. You could even get that up to 23 grams if you could. <laughs> and, and multiple plays as well. So um, you mentioned the documentary, and I wanted to focus on that a little bit. So this is a 12-part documentary narrated by your friend Seagull called Teach Des. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah. It, it's hugely exciting, although seagulls are climate change denier. Is that true? Look, I think to get through to people, you got to relate to people. So it's like let's 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 turn it. The seagull, he doesn't believe in any of this nonsense. He, you know, he just wants a chip and just to cruise the beach, and he thinks it's all a bit complicated. It's all a bit of rubbish. So he's meeting up with various folk from WWF and um, conservation funds and and ocean sustainability programs, and, and sort of grilling them and seeing trying to get to the bottom of these bits and pieces. But it's really him sitting on a chair having a chat to these guys and him trying to trying to poke holes in their arguments. And, and, and each episode that we have is about a certain thing, whether it be uh, microplastics. Um, and at the end of that episode, we'll have a link to uh, this little series called Teach Daz, where the seagull will try and poke holes in the argument that microplastics are bad for the ocean. I think we need to get Seagull together with um, Greta Thunberg. And what perfect timing as oh, well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a week that's seen a 16-year-old environmentalist from Sweden put to shame many of our world leaders on their lack of action in dealing with climate change. Um, your timing yeah. couldn't be better, actually. Uh, it was it was serendipitous. We did not plan it. It's all sort of come together at a, at a beautiful timing. Our launch is on Tuesday. Um, the first one comes out this, this Tuesday, coming on the first, and it's all kind of happened beautifully. And and we were making fun of, uh, you know what? I'm not going to give it away. I'm like going to let you guys watch this. <laughs> <laughs> now, just before we let you go, I just wanted to mention um, some of the new friends that Seagull and Whale are going to be joined by on the beach. Can you let us know about some of their new friends? Oh, gosh, top of my head. Um, there's... I- I can go through them if you like. I've got the list right in front of me. 
My favourite is is the is the donkey who struck the carrot to his forehead. Who thinks he's a unicorn? <laughs> who believes that creating awareness is the only the only thing that you can do to help save the planet? And so, I think we we've, we've gotten a couple of big celebs on board, like your Tim Minchins and your Sam Neils to do characters' voices on here. Just all about creating awareness and doing Facebook posts as if that's the only thing that we can all possibly do and kind of making fun of that whole idea of collectivism. And he's just this sort of self-centered, you know, narcissistic unicorn who's really a donkey with a carrot on his on his. <laughs> <laughs> really Who voices your donkey? Uh, who's the donkey? So that's Bo. So Nick Bosher, um, the, the much more talented part of this uh, trio, and Jared Green, the animator. Um, we do pretty much all the voices unless we get sleds involved. So the voice of the whale is also the voice of uh, the donkey unicorn. Fantastic. You've also got um, Poseidon. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, tell us about Poseidon. He, uh, he pops on the beach. He's all depressed because the, the whole planet's gone to shut. And <laughs> he's sort of trying to tell the seagull and the whale that there's sort of no way out of this. And he's like, do you want me to show you the future? And so we flash forward to the future where the whale is actually... Oh, someone's managed, we don't know who, has managed to build him some robot legs so he doesn't have to be beached anymore and he's got these tiny little robot arms and he's running around the future. It's a desolate wasteland. And the seagull's got like a lasers for, lasers for his eyes and the seagull and the whale actually live for, they think the future's the greatest thing that's ever happened. So the whole sort of Poseidon showing them the future, future backfires on Poseidon. He was supposed to show them the whole world's gone to shit and that, you know, whales have to have robot legs in order to survive. But the whale and the seagull think that's actually pretty cool. So. Yeah, that's that's Whaleborg. There's also dolphins. Whaleborg, yes. Yeah, dolphins addicted to seismic blasting, chauvinistic baby turtles, um, a cerebral fish, and weagle. So, really looking forward to meeting all of those new friends um, this coming Tuesday, which is the launch. Where can people catch this, Anthony? Look, we're in a, we're living in a new age world here. You don't need to get on the old fashioned big screen or medium sized screen. Stick to your small screens. It's all on Facebook and YouTube. So. Follow Beach Daz on Facebook. All the all the all they'll go live there. Um, there's also a YouTube page you connect to, and a quick Google source should get you there pretty quickly. Anthony, it's been absolutely joyful speaking with you, and we're really looking forward to. I can speak for myself, but I'm guessing many others out there who are super keen and excited about the Beach Daz anniversary. So the the reunion of Beach Daz and a whole bunch of new friends. Good luck with it all. Thank you so much, guys. What a pleasure chatting to you. Yeah, likewise, and uh, looking forward to um, catching it for ourselves on Tuesday. Hi, this is Bron Burton. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Radio Marinara, a weekly radio show exploring all things wet and salty, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Radio Marinara's Facebook page.